I think that COVID-19 should be definitely an opportunity. It has really shown the importance of new technologies because it has enabled most of our governments to keep on operating. We need to achieve gender parity in order to tap into the huge potential that we have uh, in, in Africa with women. We need women in top jobs, both in the public and the private sector. What is important is not so much, you know, whether we borrow or not. It is what we do with the money we borrow and how do we make sure that we structure our loans in the best possible way. Hello everyone, welcome to Development Reimagined's easy to digest video and podcast series Africa Unconstrained, supported by Quartz Africa, an essential online source for understanding the forces shaping our world. Our aim with Africa Unconstrained is to explore African perspectives on the continent's new era, especially in the context of a post-COVID-19 world. If you don't already know Development Reimagined, we are a leading independent and African-led international development consultancy with our headquarters in China and with offices in Kenya and the UK. Our mission is to provide new ideas and solutions to deal with the complexity of global, global poverty and climate change. And it's a mission our diverse team strives for daily. I'm Ovigwe Iguigu, a policy analyst at Development Reimagined. And without further ado, for this session, I'm very excited to be here with our distinguished guest, Malado Kaba, to help reveal her unique perspectives on Africa's 55 varied economies and how to protect and revitalize their growth in a COVID-19 context and possibly with China. Malado Kaba, the first female finance minister in Guinea, is at the head of Felame Advisory Consultancy. In 2019, she received the All Africa Women Agendas Award for Public Administration and Good Governance. She was also listed among the 10 best African ministers of finance by Financial Africa in 2017. She is a part of, of the 2020 inaugural cohort of Amuji Leaders, the flagship initiative of Ellen Johnson Salif. Presidential Center for Women and Development. Now, Malado, I want us to start our conversation with a number. Is there, if there was one number you think every African should be aware, aware of with, COVID, with regards to Africa's economy in a post-COVID-19 context, what would it be and why? I would maybe quote the, the, the real GDP contraction, uh, uh, you know, which is 1.7%. Uh, uh, down from uh, a pre-COVID forecast of 4%, um, because I think that number really epitomizes uh, the, the huge blow taken um, by our economies um, due to this dramatic pandemic that struck us all very hard around the globe. I think that, yeah, for me, it's, it's really the, the economic impact, uh, which also has, um, uh, of course, uh, a financial impact and social impact. Thank you. And yes, those are very interesting numbers to kick off our conversation today. Now, while we know the, that every African country has had a different history, as a form, former finance minister, 
what is your view and perspective on debt, the different debt profile of various African countries and their financial needs going forward? Is there an African debt crisis or a growth crisis or both? To me, there is a debt crisis um, and there is also a growth crisis. So there is both. Uh, but I would make maybe uh, an articulation between the two. There is a debt crisis. Um, the debt crisis is a growth crisis. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, real GDP contracted by 1.7% um, in, in, um, on, on our continent. It resulted in a dramatic reduction of our fiscal space as uh, revenues plummeted for our governments, while at the same time we had to face um, increasing spending in order to provide adequate response on the health uh, side of, of, of this pandemic. Um, for instance, I know that South Africa uh, provide, put forward a package that amounted to 10% of its GDP. Uh, these are huge numbers. Um, in Guinea, for instance, my government uh, put forward um, a package, a fiscal package that uh, accounted uh, for 2.4% of, of our GDP. And when we see that, uh, we understand that also there is then little left to service the debt. Um, but I also believe that it has been a stark reminder of our economic vulnerability and dependency. Uh, what are these vulnerabilities and dependencies? Number one, we do not have uh, diversified economies. We still rely on very few sectors uh, to provide, to boost growth. And therefore we are limiting ourselves when it comes to be able to weather uh, future external shocks because there will be future shocks. And this also does not help us build forward better as we, as we often hear saying now. Number two, we do not transform. Uh, we do not add value to what we grow or and or extract from our soils. And I think that this is also uh, an important factor. It means that our, uh, the structure of our economies remain, remain very basic. And this is an area where we have to, to work on. Thirdly, we do not trade enough, uh, enough with each other. And this is also for me, one of the issues that, that um, constrain us in terms of being able uh, to become more resilient, uh, again, against the backdrop of pandemics such as the COVID-19 and, and which has, uh, has been an event of an unseen magnitude. Therefore, what can we do? Uh, I think that COVID-19 should be definitely an opportunity. Uh, and, I, and I remember highlighting this in, a, in an opinion piece in, in, in March. Uh, it should be an opportunity to walk the talk on many fronts. Number one, we need to boost local production and local content when it comes to our major infrastructure project. We did that in Guinea, for instance, where I initiated actions in order to boost local production, the purchase of locally grown staples um, in the context of food donations. Uh, and we were able to provide revenue uh, to about 10,000 uh, farmers association, half of which are women associations. Number two, we need to make the African continent free trade area a reality. Our founding fathers have bestowed it with this unique vision of an African united politically, but also economically. And I think that 
um, there are, of course, positive signals already. We know that more than half of our countries have now ratified this agreement. Uh, a secretariat has been set up. Uh, but I think that we need now, we really need to get to the nitty gritty and to more practical things. Another yeah. aspect relates also to, of course, harnessing the huge um, possibilities offered by new technology. Uh, and, and I think that this, well, maybe it's the only positive and, and new thing of this pandemic is that it has really shown the importance of new technologies because it has enabled most of our governments to keep on operating while you know enforcing curfews while not being able to come to work as a former finance minister you know i used to tell my staff half jokingly that the private sector must not have the monopoly of efficiency we as civil servants we must strive to serve our citizens and our economy by providing them with better quality services. And that can be done if we accelerate uh, that uh, digitalization within our administration. And last but not mm -hmm. least, we need to achieve gender parity in order to tap into the huge potential that we have uh, in, in Africa with women. We need women in top jobs, both in the public and the private sector. We've just celebrated, you know, the 25 years of the Beijing Declaration. Um, and in as much as there has been some progress, you know, as we see that um, across, the, the, across, across the world, uh, I think 21% uh, of uh, ministerial positions are held by women. There is so much to do. Now, Malado, since it's practically impossible to avoid talking about Africa, the world's second largest, and in some reports, the world's largest economy, when we talk about Africa's economic future, I want to understand your insights on Africa-China relationship, and again, help reveal a forward-looking African perspective to our viewers and listeners. So my question is, do you think African countries should be trying to get more or fewer loans from China? We need to... to you know, get back to basics and look at facts and, and figures. Um, it is true that, um, you know, from 2015 to 2020, um, Africa's debt level has increased uh, from, I think, 40 to 50 percent. And now we are, uh, amid COVID, uh, we have reached us 70 percent of GDP. Um, it is a big figure, uh, but I, I do believe that it, it, it's not that dramatic. It is true that the pandemic as uh, a layer of, of difficulty. Um, and, and that is why I think we need to push for the calls uh, coming from our African thought leaders and also our, our five employees about uh, debt cancellation and, and more relief, more relief is needed. Um, because what, it, what Africa has been asking only accounts for 3% of what OECD countries have been providing to safeguard their own economies. This is a drop in the ocean. I think that when we talk about debt, we need also to look at our situation. By 2050, we will be 2.5 billion people living on our continent. And 30 to 40% of that uh, people will be young people. This is a huge opportunity, but it can also quickly become a, a social time ticking bomb if we are not, uh, if we fail to provide the necessary conditions for them to get decent jobs, uh, live decent lives, set up their own businesses. 
And so when we see those demographic trends, we understand that um, our leaders, our policymakers um, have an urgent and, and compelling uh, uh, obligation to um, grow our economies in a more sustainable, um, in, a more, in a more inclusive and in a more robust way. Uh, we know that to do that, we need to invest in infrastructure. Uh, the African Development Bank had you know, estimated that in order to achieve an annual rate of 7% over the next decade, we would have to invest about $130 billion a year. These are huge figures and we are not you know, getting that money uh, only with a domestic resource mobilization. It will only meet a, a tiny pro pro uh, portion of that money. And so we need to, have to make use of other uh, funding options. And that to me is and remains one of that funding options. But I think that what is important is not so much, you know, whether we borrow or not, it is what we do with the money we borrow and how do we make sure that we structure our loans in the best possible way for us so that they do not jeopardize our public finance sustainability in the medium to longer term. The first issue is related to the purpose. What do we do with the money? Um, that means uh, simply, in other words, stay away from vanity projects. And I remember these, these were the exact words mm -hmm. of President Xi Jinping in 2018 during the Africa-China summit. And I think it really, uh, I, I think it, that was a good point to stress um, because we, we need to ensure that when we borrow money, huge sums, we uh, fund the most productive projects um, and we need to ensure that we have solid technical and feasibility studies for those projects, because by, by financing the best projects ever, we will then provide also a way to grow our economies and therefore to, um, to generate the resources necessary to pay back those funding. Number two, get the best people and companies to execute your infrastructure projects. Um, and, and here I would like to maybe um, explain that, uh, you know, some, some, some non-traditional lenders uh, do uh, come up in their financing agreements uh, with the obligation for you to contract with their own companies. Um, and this sometimes, you know, is done without uh, going through, uh, for instance, an open and competitive procedure, procurement procedure. Um, and we know that these are not the best way uh, to ensure that you get a company with both the technical and financial capabilities to carry out massive, sometimes massive or major infrastructure projects. But I think that if this, ob this obligation is there, um, I think that there are still ways around it in order to mitigate the risks by, for instance, uh, conducting a thorough due diligence. Uh, and this is also probably an, an area where we could try to enhance African agency and African cooperation between different ministers. For instance, I remember as a finance minister uh, discussing those issues with my colleagues, uh, with my other colleagues, finance minister uh, more than two years ago. Uh, so I think it is very important uh, to, to, to do that uh, due, due process. Number three, you need to get the best out of your debt. What does that mean? 
It simply means that I want to get the return on my debt. And how can I do that? Well, again, a simple thing to do by deciding that maybe 30 to 40% of major infrastructure contract goes to my local SMEs. And I think that this is very important because it is a way to share the growth while implementing those investment programs and also after. It is a way to get the know-how and, the, the, and to transfer the technology which is exactly what China did, you know, when it was um, when she was dealing with um, um, Western companies. Uh, it is also a way to build backward and forward linkages in certain areas, in specific areas, or, um, in specific sectors and industry. Um, and so I think that these are aspects that we should be looking at. And last but not least, it is also a way to lower, to, to lower some costs. Um, and these are, have huge implications then on the volume of the debt that you, you, one country may want to incur. Uh, in other words, the terms of the loans. It's about, of course, the interest rates. It's about the, the grace period. It's about also the maturity of the loan. And um, I think that this particularly calls uh, for us to increase our negotiation uh, skills. That's what we did in Guinea. You know, we, I, was, um, I conducted uh, during almost two years uh, the discussions and negotiations um, about the construction of our biggest dam to date. Uh, and we did not hesitate uh, to uh, be accompanied by highly international reputable com um, expertise for the legal the financial and the technical aspects. But at the same time, I also ensured that there would be a, a capacity building for my own staff dedicated to that project mm. so that you mm. do, so that you build actually a sustainability within your own administration. And I think that this is very important. And I think that this is also links back to, again, the economic integration if we enhance that cooperation, if we increase that cooperation, I think it would, it would in the end help us uh, integrate our countries better and make also the most of our own solution, homegrown uh, funding solutions, because that's what we need. And we need an African agency that really looks at those issues. Thank you for the very insightful analysis and, and thank you for joining our session. It is very important that our audience understands what an African perspective is on these issues. And so we really appreciate you speaking to us today. On behalf of our audience, if they, if they would like to join, to understand your perspective in more, more in depth, where should they look to follow you? Or oh, they can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, at Malado. Uh, 2203 uh, and also on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Yeah, perfect. Thank you and thank you to our audience. Please do follow us at www.developmentreimagine.com and on Twitter at devreimagine and our partner quotes at www.qz.com forward slash Africa. Thank you all for joining and see you next time.